You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 127. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And in this session, we're going to be talking about why there are no politics in business. What? Okay. Business people are faced with lots of data and have to make a lot of decisions. And there are plenty of options and opinions about those decisions. Sound about right? If someone does not support your project or your strategy, Is it because they have a different perspective that is based on their experiences and priorities? Their lack of support for your idea is not politically based. It's because you do not understand their perspective. It's up to you to listen better and try to appreciate an alternative view. If you want to be able to achieve the impact, the results, the outcome that you're driving for. And then hopefully the other person will try to appreciate your perspective and good ideas as well. Before we dive into this interesting topic, this episode is sponsored by my free masterclass on the game-changing steps to a high-impact PMO. Whether you're starting a PMO for the first time, trying to get your PMO back on track, or just want to ensure that your PMO is as high-impact as possible, This training will get right to the heart of what really makes a difference in the eyes of your business leaders, where to focus your energy for the best results, and how to accelerate your PMO performance. We're going to follow my step-by-step framework that has been developed leveraging more than 24 years of real-world experience as a PMO leader myself for 15 years and as a consultant with PMO Strategies, a trainer and a coach for the last nine years. The work I do with my students has helped them get and keep their seat at the table no matter what kind of chaos is thrown in their way. And they are thriving. Join me for this one-hour training program by going to pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. And let's unleash the full power of your impact engine PMO today. Okay, let's dive in to why there are no politics in business. Now with me today for this episode is Joe Perzel. He has been leading projects of all sizes and managing people since 1982 in both a corporate and vendor capacity. He has a background in multiple industries such as healthcare, insurance, finance, government, manufacturing, nonprofit, and education. Currently, Joe is partner in Jay Prezel Inc., as well as program manager at SureScripts. Joe has been speaking since 2002 on topics ranging from project management, leadership, strategy, negotiations, and sales. He's got a long list, trust me, I've seen it, of awesome topics that he covers, and he has presented keynotes, chapter meetings, and workshops locally and globally for corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations. And I think you'll be able to see why he's such a hot commodity on the speaker circuit when we get into today's session, a very interesting one about whether or not there's actually any politics in business. So with all that said, Joe, thank you so much for being here today. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it, even though I'm blushing terribly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were also a speaker at this year's PMO Impact Summit, and everyone loved your sessions. So I think this is a great next step to be talking about the politics situation in business. So can we just dive in and start with what you actually mean when you say there are no politics in business? Because I bet my impact driver audience would beg to differ. Well, I have to admit that at some point until that point in time where I was sitting down with a buddy of mine having a couple of cocktails and I was grousing about experiencing politics at work and and my dear friend said, there is no such thing as politics at work. And I did a double take. I looked at him and said, what do you mean? He says, no, 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 no such thing as politics at work. It's all about a different perspective of the situation. Mm -hmm. After some conversation, I came to realize that what I term and others often term politics is really a different perception of the situation, decision, idea, or opportunity. So, for example, I look at a new project to streamline an area of the business as a fun opportunity, great challenge, something they're looking forward to. Someone in that area of the business may think my job is changing or maybe going away. Completely different perspective of the situation. That is a really good point. And I bet you that's probably where a lot of that change resistance that we hit on projects actually comes from. And it's funny that you say there are no politics in business because I always say there's no such thing as change resistance. And I love it when I get the, yeah, but, and well, you haven't met my stakeholders. And it's interesting because I think that we're going to get into some really good conversation about some similarities in our perspectives on this, because what I tell people is that If they are experiencing change resistance, it's because they're doing change to people instead of with them and that it is all a matter of perspective. So I am totally down with diving into this and understanding this perspective of others' perspectives and why we need to not just brush it off as, well, this organization just has a lot of politics or this organization has a lot of change resistance, because it probably is a lot simpler than that, really. It's just all about figuring out this right perspective. So can you talk to me about what the key things are that you need to understand when you're in what you perceive to be a political situation at the workplace? Sure. First thing I recommend is everyone's personality is different. So different strengths, weaknesses, likes and dislikes. Some people like even thrive on change. Others prefer repeatability and stability. Right. Others like diving into details. Some people like me hating getting mm-hmm. into the weeds. Mm-hmm. For example, the project world requires the need to innovate, adapt, and change to be successful. But if you're running payroll, handling accounting, processing new hires through HR, maintaining IT operations, they all attract people that like repeatability. Therefore, they hate change because change causes risk to your process, application, or environment. Fact of the matter is, business needs all types to succeed. You know what? That's a really good point because those that are listening here, my impact driver community, are change makers. They're change agents. They're used to change. They love change. And they're actually really good at delivering change, driving change. However, there are a lot of people in an organization that could see this change as an, a situation that's going to create a lot of unrest that could upend them from their job, that could change their job to be something that they don't like anymore, and that that can be pretty scary. And that's why it's so important that we understand a stakeholder's perspective and 
really look at what's going on from their point of view. And yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's not necessarily that they're going to all appreciate and get excited and invigorated for the change. Like many of our impact drivers would, they actually see it as something to avoid. So how does a person's view, their view of reality shape the politics, if you will, that we see or come to interact with in when we're creating change in organizations? Well, again, the benefits for your project may be different for different people. Right. So you have to think about what's in it for them. You have to be empathetic to their situation. You have to think win-win. You also have to make a habit of understanding what makes people tick, all the different types of people. And then you have to connect with that person or group. Be a partner. Encourage them to think like a partner too. Talk their language, ask questions, listen to understand, validate what you hear, understand or assume. Be a partner to them. How would somebody go about doing that? When we say be a partner, because remember, this audience is all about taking action. So we can give them ideas, but they're going to want to know how to implement that. They're going to want to know exactly what to do. So what are your recommendations when you say be a partner? What specifically, what steps should they take to to put that into practice? Well, my best way of understanding the other person is ask a question. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite tool in my tool belt. And I find there's three reasons to ask a question. You want to build rapport, you want to gather information, or you lead the other person or group to a good decision. So I start with, I see somebody, meet them for the first time, build rapport, talk to them. Yeah. Hey, where do you work? What do you do? What's up? What do you like? And then as you get people on your team, gather some information about their background. And then sometimes you have to help lead the other person to a good decision. If you tell them what the answer is, or if you force it on them, that's not going to work nearly as well as if you ask a question leading them to the decision you think is the right way to go. And then remember, as you're listening, listen to understand, not to reply. Validate what you're hearing. Think about it. It's all about listening, understanding, partnering. Mm. And it's funny that you say that because as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, one thing that you said earlier, it's all about the with them, the what's in it for me, for Absolutely. your stakeholders. and. A lot of our PMO leaders, for example, have gotten some pretty bad advice, which is to go sell the value of the PMO, for example. So I'm going to use this as an example here because I think it's a really relevant one for this community. If any of you listening have been told to go sell the PMO or tips on selling the PMO or convincing others that the PMO is the answer, you've been given some bad advice. And here's why. Because nobody wants to be sold to. Think about the last time that you were in a situation where somebody kept following you around as you were trying to look at cars or look at an appliance purchase you're trying to make. And they're just hounding you and hounding you. And you can't even think or look at anything because they're busy selling you on all of the features and you haven't even decided if you need what they're offering. So that's what many of our PMO leaders have been told is the best way to get people to engage with the PMO or understand its value is to sell it. But I think the opposite is true. I think you're dead on here, Joe, with what we need to be doing is listening, not talking. We need to be looking for their with them. We need to be learning who these people are and understanding what they care about and using that to inform our discussions about meeting them where they are and explaining how we can help solve their pain points, help them with their challenges, help them implement the opportunities they have in front of them. And you can't do that if you're coming from 
your perspective of, well, of course you want this. Don't you know this is the best thing for you? Nobody cares, right? What they care about is they're with them. What's in it for me? So we can't possibly answer the with them question unless we are quiet and listening to what they actually need and what they care about. So can you talk about some ways that you can engage or ask those questions or have some good conversations to pull out what people really care about? Well, I'm going to start by saying you have two ears and one mouth, use them <laughs> proportionally. Right. So kind of building on what you just said, another one is don't go in with preconceived notions or assumptions unless the first thing you do is validate them right. or disprove them. Right. I always like to say, think win-win. And then again, talk their language. You need to be a chameleon when you're communicating with somebody. You can't control whether or not they want to listen and understand and talk the way you do. So you mm -hmm. have to adapt to them. And by that, I mean, talk their language as well as if they're detail oriented, you need to get into details. If they're high level, I mean, the joke about senior level was give them one slide with one graph on it and maybe one little point and that's it. Mm -hmm. Well, that, mm -hmm. there well, is something and to be part said of that about that. Is because you shouldn't be overwhelming them with information, right? And I always say they like pretty pictures and colors and keeping things super simple because they can't be in a position where they're trying to process a ton of information if they're going to actually drive decisions effectively and quickly. So I think For the that's executives, true. that's true. But if you're starting yeah. to deal with engineering, you're dealing right. with security, finance, and accounting. You need to jump into the details. And as much as it hurts my head to do that, yeah. I need to be prepared and adapt to do it because I want to communicate to be effective with them. And that means I adapt to their style. If they meet me halfway, that's a plus. But again, I don't count on it. I just do what I need to to communicate in a way that they'll understand. Yeah, so true. So again, I'm thinking of my PMO leaders that when they find themselves in these situations with their stakeholders, one of the things I always tell them is that if they think they know what the business needs from the PMO, they're probably wrong. A lot of times PMO leaders will go into the organization when they're setting up a new PMO or rescuing a PMO. And the minute they get there, they're like, ah, I know the medicine you need to take. I see your problems so clearly. And the challenge is that if the stakeholders don't agree or don't see those problems, then you're going to have a really tough uphill battle trying to solve for the things that they aren't even aware are their problems. Even if you're right, you're wrong. So instead, we need to be having conversations with our stakeholders to understand what they do recognize and what they do know they need help with and start there and solve those problems before we start trying to solve the other things we know are probably the underlying fundamental challenges that if we just fix those, everything would be great. Well, we'll never get a chance to just fix those if we don't start with the things that they know and recognize as their pain points. And as you're saying, we need to be listening for those things and looking for those things first so that we can build trust with our stakeholders and frankly, remove the politics from the conversation, right? Absolutely. And, and I've got a, a dear friend that taught me that you can't sell somebody that doesn't know they're sick. You can't provide a medicine to somebody that doesn't know they're sick. Right. So first thing you have to do is educate them, get them to understand. I like your comment about small wins or quick wins or wins that they recognize need to be happening because then you build a trust. And I actually, I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. I think Ooh. everybody's in sales. I think everybody's selling. You just don't want to be the what I call the used car salesman. 
You want to be the partner that's solving their problem, but that's still sales. I mean, everybody's in sales. If you're married, if you've got a job, if you've got employees, if you've got kids, you're mm-hmm. sales. Everybody's in sales. It's just being a partner in that sales process, not the person trying to sell a clunker to you. Right. Yeah. And I don't disagree with you there. I do believe that people are in sales. However, if we start our conversations with pitching the mm-hmm. value of the PMO, we are going to be unsuccessful because we haven't done what you said first, which is actually listening, hearing, understanding, and then aligning their needs with the services and capabilities we can deliver. That that's very so it's flipping the whole order of activities. Right. You still right. qualify. Absolutely, yeah. I was gonna say qualify, negotiate, close. You're talking exactly. about quali- qualify the opportunity, qualify the issue. Absolutely. Find out, find out the facts first. Yes. And that's the thing is that many times PMO leaders are guided or advised to just go in and immediately start pitching, but they haven't done any listening first. So you absolutely need to a good sales process. And I agree with you completely. A good sales process aligns their pains, their opportunities, their needs with the services and capabilities you deliver. But if you just come in saying, here's all the services and capabilities we deliver, here's the problems we can solve for you. And they haven't felt heard, understood, or that you've done anything to get in alignment with what they need, then your process is going to fall apart right there. And you won't get the chance to actually do the good work that you're meant to do. So I think we're actually on the same page here. You just don't sell first before you've actually listened. Yeah, right. Think about, <laughs> think about ready, fire, aim. No, no, no. Ready, yeah. aim, fire. Exactly. Exactly. So can you talk about when our impact drivers here are in situations where they are hitting some politics, if you will, what advice do you have for them to handle those situations? Well, I'll probably say this five times in this conversation. Think win-win. It's Mm. not win-lose. It's win-win. Do everything you can to understand the other side of the issue. Be empathetic as best you can. So you have to be open-minded. Again, remember what's in it for them. You got to do that because selling an executive is different than selling an engineer, which is different than selling this department or that department because security cares about different things in HR, which cares about different things in finance and accounting. And then you have to be patient and calm. If you mm-hmm. try to go right to the end, as we've been talking, you end up taking longer to get there. So right. be right. patient, be calm, be confident. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really important that we think about it from that win-win perspective. It really isn't about convincing them that our way is the best. And I also want to throw in there another thing to be thinking about, like really be clear on, which I think is what you're getting at here with the win-win, which is compromise. Because we may believe that the only way for our PMO to be successful is if we do these five things, but we haven't quite built the trust or the credibility that we that they should just trust us that they need those five things. So if we can just start with one and make some really good progress and really build that trust and the credibility, then they will be open to listening more when we say, hey, now you know that second pain point that we talked about, why don't we implement that too? So being patient and allowing the process time and the trust process to build, I think is critical here. So I think you're right on with this. And I think this plays very directly into the experiences our PMO leaders are having and our project managers are having, not just when building and running a PMO, but that is certainly a good example of where you might 
believe that you're hitting politics when really what you're hitting is the fact that we've got to do more work to build that credibility and lay that strong trust foundation first. Well, so absolutely. Can- I would say in the workshop I run called Everyone's in Sales, yeah. trust is a huge segment of that. Mm-hmm. Building trust ahead of time, not waiting to last minute, building it as deep as can be, not doing anything to hurt it. Trust is always a key component. So good. So good. Okay. So can we talk a little bit about tools or processes that you recommend using for handling the politics or bringing people with you through the change process? Well, let's talk about understanding people, personality Mm -hmm. profiling. I'm real big on it. I'm a DISC fan, D-I-S-C, that talks about the different personalities, but it could be Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, doesn't matter. But get to understand people, you have to understand a good way to evaluate them mm. and profiling them. Sometimes I do it in my head. Sometimes I give them a intake form and say, here, fill this out. And the mm. key there is to get to understand what they want. What's how the best way to talk? What do they want? How do they want to communicate? What's important to them? The other thing is get to understand where they're coming from. If someone's in security, they're going to be security conscious. Well, hey, first thing I say when I meet somebody is where, where what department do you work in? Mm-hmm. So get and gather some information. I'm a flaming extrovert, so it's easy for me to say that. I mean, I <laughs> bump into somebody. I go to the office every day, even though there's very few people there, because when I bump into somebody, I create a conversation with them. Another thing is those, oh, this is great working at home. Well, you know what? It is because it's convenient. You don't have to commute. But I've got a list of 15 reasons why you want to go in the office. And everybody that yeah. looks at me says, you're nuts. By the time I get done talking to them, I mean, I had a meeting with one of my sponsors that was ad hoc that I would not have happened. Otherwise, he was in the office. I was in the office. We talked for 10 minutes and I got more done in that 10 minutes than I could have done in an hour meeting. Mm. So anyhow, don't be afraid to go in the office. Don't be able to afraid. It's a contact sport. Get to know people. Evaluate which way they want to communicate. Don't assume. I mean, the story I'll tell about that is when I own my own consultancy, my head of recruiting was on the phone nonstop all day long. I mm. thought he was a flaming extrovert. No, no, no. <laughs> I asked him to speak at a, a company meeting. He looked at me and says, I must be nuts. I said, what do you mean? I asked him to do a disc profile. He's a flaming introvert. He yeah. loves people one at a time. Right. Does not like big groups. Right. And I just assumed because he was always on the phone that he was an extrovert and I was wrong. So be careful with assumptions. Mm. Assumptions can be your friend or they can be your foe. Mm-hmm. And would you validate an assumption and you get everybody to understand it? It's clear, visible, transparent. It's now a project given. So get rid of assumptions, convert them to project givens. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. It's really funny because so I know my Myers Briggs type is ISTJ. Nobody oh. believes the I, but it is so true because it's about where you get your energy and where you get your strength. And I love extroverting, but then it sucks so much out of me that I need a break and I need my quiet me time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm just, I'm just the opposite. I mean, ESTP, yeah. I love people. You know, yeah. After this, I'm going to be all jazzed. Yeah. But if I have to sit down and build out a project plan, write a proposal, right. I better have my Mountain Dew. I better have some quiet time because <laughs> if somebody comes by, it's squirrel. Off I run. Yes. <laughs> and it's just people are different people get their energy from different things right. and you have to recognize that and sometimes you need to adapt and right. afterwards take a break 
Well, and it's funny, but yes, and that's what I have to do. And I do that by blocking time on my calendar. There's certain no meetings days so that I can take some time to catch my breath and get caught up on all my introverting activities that build me up and give me strength. But one of the interesting ones I learned about the J is that it's helpful for me to put things in categories and put people in categories so I know how to handle them and organize my thoughts and interact with them. And it's funny, what you're saying is a very J way to look at things with these, the disc profiling and the Myers-Briggs and all of those things. For me, that totally makes my J work because I can organize people into the categories that they fit into for me mentally to figure out how to best support them and how to help them and bring more value to them. So it's really funny that our Myers-Briggs types are very different, but we both really dig having more information about people to help us support them most effectively. So just a little side note that I thought was fun there. Well, let me add on to that. Just because I say do it that way doesn't mean I do it. I do it or I do it organically. When I do a because exactly. I walk into a room and I look around and I just instantly slot everybody. Whereas somebody that's more different than me would I say dot dot dot, therefore, dot dot dot, therefore. No, no, I do it instantly. Hilarious. It's, oh my it's gosh. Just, that's the way it is for me. It's recognizing who you are is another big thing, right? Don't just right. do a disc for everybody else. Do a disc or a Myers-Briggs for yourself. Make sure you understand who you are and what's paid. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to ask people to communicate with you as well. They may mm-hmm. say no, but heck, you might get somebody that wants to partner with you as well and they'll work. Right. And it's really funny that you say that because since I was very early in my career, I loved those kinds of profiling tools and things like that to help me learn about myself. I paid a lot of attention to the feedback I got from my business leaders, both in the formal review process and outside of it. I took every opportunity I was given to be a part of special leadership development programs and other things so that I could learn as much as I could about myself. And I would say that I know a lot about my strengths and my weaknesses and where I best show up in the world and how I best can support others in this community, et cetera. And that has helped me tremendously. So I just want to underscore that it's not just about learning everyone else, but it's also about learning yourself and learning where you shine when you're interacting with others. And the best way for you to do that, to be super effective in the work that you do, because you can have a completely different personality type from other people around you and be just as effective in any environment, as long as you understand your strengths and your weaknesses and focus on using those strengths in particular to support the outcomes you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. So tell me more about this asking a question topic that you talk about. Well, again, it's my favorite tool in my mm-hmm. tool belt and I do it organically. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk like a J, but I'm going to be a P as I say this. I'll be a J as I say this, but I'll do it as a P. You build rapport, you gather information or you lead the other group. So build rapport is, hi, who are you? Would you do this weekend? Blah, blah, right. blah. Gathering information is what department do you work in? Are you on my project? Do you have an opinion right. about how things are going? Leading the other group or person to a decision is, let's say you know what the right answer is, but you have mm-hmm. to get the underlying assumptions question. Just think of a funnel. Mm-hmm. You, you want to ask a broad question, you want something a little bit more narrow, and then you get to the point. So do you want to, if the answer is you want their support, 
for a proposal that you're making to your sponsor. You don't just go out and say that. You may say something like, do you see, were you in that meeting yesterday? Did you see the issue or the risk or the, or the assumption that was made? Do you think that fits or is it wrong? Would you go help me convince the sponsor that something needs to be actionable? Right. So broad, a little bit narrower, and then to the question, because if they say yes, no, yes, 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 you've led them to the point where they've already decided they agree with you. You don't have to sell them on it. They've already said yes. Right. Then you ask the question. That's back to your point you made earlier about don't sell them. You're not selling them. You're you're just asking questions, leading them to the point where they say, oh, well, maybe we should go talk to the sponsor because if it's their idea, right, it'll happen. If it's your idea and at the end, if they still think it's your idea, even if they say yes, it's going to be a half-hearted attempt. Right, right. So good. So good. Okay. So but let's talk about, let's go back to this political conversation, right? Because I think people are saying, our impact drivers here are saying, okay, I got you. I hear you. And there's still some of those situations where we might be facing some politics. So how can the audience avoid certain situations or what are the things that they need to avoid doing when they perceive that there's a political situation going on around them? Now, first of all, don't jump to conclusions. Don't okay. assume, because you certainly can go qualify the, your thoughts and assumptions. First right. things first, get some facts. Make sure you know what your reservoir of trust and respect is, so you know if you can go in and, and be direct, or do you have to build it up? Back to the things we talked about earlier. Don't dictate an outcome, especially mm -hmm. without hearing the other side, because now you're being adversarial. Right. So... Those are the first three things that come to my mind. And then you, you may need to negotiate. You need right. to be a good negotiator because you're going to go and say, I've got the right idea. I've been doing this forever. I understand where we're going. I've got a good background on everything. I'm right. I know I'm right. Now, mm -hmm. how do I go about selling the other side? Well, that's about qualifying what they're coming from, negotiating the details, and then closing the deal. Sounds like sales. Well, yeah, if you're in the PMO, you're in sales. Right, right. You're, you're selling the rest of the industry or you're selling the rest of your enterprise. I mean, it's something you have to do. So be ready to go negotiate. And as much as it sounds unappealing to a lot of folks, not to me, I love negotiations, but a lot <laughs> of folks say, no, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, that's part of your job. And you right. do it by understanding what's in it for them. What are the benefits of the situation? Explaining to them in the detail and the time. And again, be calm. And yeah. don't be in a rush because if you're in a rush to sell it, you're not going to be successful. So let's talk a little bit more about that because negotiating is a really important skill that the, everyone listening in this audience needs to get good at. So how do you, and I, I heard you on the listening and that kind of thing, but let's be very specific. How do you negotiate a good outcome based on the kind of things that we've been talking about here? Where should people start? Well, again, the start is understand the other side of the equation. Yeah. Uh, actually, maybe a step back before that, understand the problem. Ah, understand the yeah. opportunity. You know, make sure you know what the point is that you want to talk about. Then mm -hmm. understand where they're coming from, the other party, and anything around them. Maybe it's the department they come from. Maybe it's the, where they are in terms of the project. But get data. And then, in fact, find out how what kind of a stakeholder they are. I have a presentation I do on stakeholder management where I go in and are they a savior or are they a saboteur? Mm -hmm. Find out where they're coming from. And then each one is dealt with differently. The other thing I would do is something I call I4. I try to involve them. Mm -hmm. 
or I get them interested in the problem. If you have to, I suppose you can ignore them, but I don't want to go there. That's a little bit too negative. But so those are some of the ways you can handle a situation. But in the ideal situation, you start negotiating with them. When you do that by qualifying what, what their situation is, what the issue is, Right. Then you negotiate. When you negotiate, you think win-win. You want to partner with them. You're not trying to clobber them. You're not trying to convince them. Make sure you have an open mind because it may be they're right. I know it's hard to believe, but maybe the other side might be right. Right. <laughs> and so be open-minded. Now, maybe they'll have a better idea. And ideally, you know, some of the best ways to build trust and respect is when you have a conversation, you build the answer together. Right. Because if you're doing that, it's not your solution. It's our solution. And oh, the WIFM thing that you keep talking about, or I keep talking about, it's always, I mean, that's the case. And then be patient. And, and then finally, you need more ways, more reasons for them to say yes, than they have reasons to say no. And that goes back to the, did you do your research? Do you understand exactly. all the reasons the answer is yes? Because when they start pushing back, you have to be able to deal with it. And then, then finally, just think objections. People push back, they object. I love objections. Objections mean they care. Right. Silence means they don't care. Mm. If they're giving you an objection, you now A, know they care, and B, you know whether you need to work with to solve the problem. So when someone gives you an objection, instead of, oh, gosh, I hate that, say, hey, sweet, I now know where I need to go. I now know what I need to do. And I now right. know what problem I need to solve. Perfect. Okay. So I want to also though, before we wrap up here, so we've talked about the things we should do when we're negotiating, but I want to make sure that people are aware of the kind of mistakes that can be made because there's many of them when it comes to negotiating. Are there any last tips or advice on the things you want to make sure that you avoid doing when you're in this negotiating process? Sure. First three things that come to mind are you're thinking adversarial. I got to win this. Mm. Yeah, Don't do that. If you do mm -hmm. that, you're already lost because even if you win the decision, the decision goes your way. You've created a business enemy. Right. So don't think adversarial. Just the opposite of listening, failing to understand. If you're listening to reply instead of listening to understand, you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. And not understanding the way the process works, hating objections as an example. They're a good sign. That means they're engaged. That means there's something you can work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's basically the opposite of everything else. Don't try to do it so fast. If you're not being patient, you're not being calm, all those things. Oh, so good. So good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for taking the time to walk us through all of this today. Is there any last advice or last tips you'd like to leave the audience with as we wrap up here today? I just think politics are fun. <laughs> got to be optimistic about it. Be optimistic because if you're not optimistic, what happens is you go in with your tail between your legs and you lose. So go right. in optimistic and confident. Awesome. Thank you, Joe, for being here for today's session. This has been awesome. I hope all of you impact drivers listening are a lot more comfortable with the fact that there really aren't politics in business, but it's all about perceptions with them and making sure that you understand exactly what your stakeholders need so that you can solve their problems. That's it for this session. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure you hit subscribe and download these podcasts so that you have them with you no matter where your high impact journey takes you. And before we go, don't forget that this episode is sponsored by my free masterclass, 
on the game-changing steps that you have not considered, I promise, to building a high-impact PMO. So whether you're starting from scratch with a new PMO or you've got a team and you're already trying to up-level your capabilities or you've been called in to get things back on track, let us help you get and keep your seat at the table by unlocking the secrets of a high-impact PMO your stakeholders will be begging for. Join me at pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, Impact Driver, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now.